Boy, it has been a morning of looking at the attributes of God and who He is. <laughs> and we get to look once again as Jesus goes toward the cross, as we go with Him all the way. And this morning, we're going to go to the contaminated temple. If you want to turn your Bibles again to Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. You almost get the sense here what Jesus is saying is to let the temple be the temple, what it's meant to be. And if we take that to today's realm of things, let the church be the church, what it's supposed to be there. What Jesus said here is he said, in other words, he said, let the house of prayer be a house of prayer. And so Jesus goes to this temple and Jesus here does a lot more than just make a comment about things. He acts upon the things that are here as he goes to this to the temple. And as we'll look at it, it's a contaminated temple because there's people there. Because there are sinners that are there. And in James 1 verse 22, <coughs> excuse me. In James 1.22, Jesus says, or James says, he says, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so Jesus acted upon the word here. First of all, as he goes to the temple, as he calls the house, he says it should be a house of prayer, but he acts upon it. He drives out the money changers, the dove sellers who had entrenched themselves in the house of God and had turned it into a den of thieves. (laughs) Jesus sought to restore it to its real purpose. He sought to point them back. And in this day and age that we live in, there's human nature, there's the human temptations, there's the human abuse of the things that are holy. And it's still that way, isn't it? The church, Jesus' church, is the temple today. The temple of God is within His people. That's where God dwells. The Holy Spirit Himself. And you know what's interesting? And we, in the AFLC, we use a phrase. We say that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. It's in the congregation where people are and where the Lord dwells within the hearts of people. And as we talk about the temple today, we need that cleansing as well, don't we? We're going to go all the way with Jesus here. So let's see and understand all that he did during his passion so we can't close our eyes to this event and to the implication that it has for us too. Our own temples. And Jesus needs to renovate divinely, doesn't he? To do that divine renovation in each of our hearts as well. We're going to note how Jesus cleanses the temple here in a few different ways. The first one that we're going to note is how Jesus cleanses the temple that's contaminated with commercialism. Let me give you a little bit of a description of that outer court. Um, Dean Farrar in his book, The Life of Christ, gives us a little picture of this situation. 
This is what he says about it as Jesus goes in. He says, there in the actual court of the Gentiles, which if you notice on the screen is on the outside of the court and things, would have been steaming, steaming with heat in a burning April day and filling the temple with stench and filth were penned whole flocks of sheep and oxen. Wish you could have heard Jim on Wednesday night. He talked about that aspect. All the sheep that would have been around at Passover time. But there'd have been sheep and oxen while the drovers and the pilgrims would stand there bartering and bargaining around them. There'd have been men with wicker cages filled with doves. And under the shadows of the arcade formed by quadruple rolls of those Corinthian columns sat the money changers with their tables covered with piles of various small coins. While as they reckoned and wrangled in the most dishonest of trades, their greedy eyes twinkled with the lust of gain. And this was the entrance court of the Most High God. The court which was a... Excuse me, which was a witness that this house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. Farrar writes, he said, it had been degraded into a place which for foulness was more like shambles and for bustling commerce more like a densely crowded bazaar than it was the entrance to the temple. While there would be the lowing of oxen, the bleeding of the sheep, the babble of many languages, Languages, the huckstering, the wrangling, the clinking of money and the balances, perhaps not always just balances, might be heard in the adjoining courts disturbing the chants of the Levites and the priests as they were praying. Let me start with this premise as I go through this idea of Jesus cleansing the temple from commercialism. Let me start with what the Bible says about money. I want to remind you in 1 Timothy 6, it says that money is not the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So let me ask you a few questions. First of all, is the money changing wrong here? It's not wrong. Money changing in itself is not sinful. Up on the screen you see the Canadian bills. We always used to call those funny money where I came from because it always looked different with all the colors and stuff. But if I was to take a trip into Canada, I've got to change my money. I don't have to, but in order to get a good fair trade, I'm going to change my money and go to a bank ahead of time and change it out. And that's what the people were doing here. The pilgrims were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover and they needed their money changed so that they could buy animals for the offering that they would give at the Passover time. And it was convenient to have it in the outer courts of the temple so they could buy their sacrifices and their animals in that way. And I don't think Jesus here is attacking the methods of things here as much as the money-mindedness that was there and the love of money and what was taking place. Second question I want to ask, is it wrong to raise money for the church anyway? (laughs) The church isn't a business, but money's needed. We must remember it's not for profit that we raise money. It's so people can know Jesus. Bills need to be met, salaries need to be paid, etc., etc. 
to take care of God's house. But I think we need to be willing to scrutinize the methods sometimes and test the purpose of what we do in those regards. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? And by the way, what's the way to find out what's important in people's hearts? It used to be you looked at their checkbook. There's not many checkbooks anymore <laughs> with regards to things. But look where we spend our money. It does tend to show that, doesn't it? In this whole manner, what we hear hopefully do is to keep in that evangelical freedom without legislating or dictating things here. We're confident that God's people will know the best way to raise funds, honestly, ethically, in ways that will honor God. What was happening in the outer courts of the temple was not honoring God. There was a greediness. There was a lack of concern for all around <laughs> that was taking place. The third question, I just want to ask you to put it into perspective. What is the primary work of the congregation? What is the thing that we should be doing most of all? It's always pointing people to Jesus. Prayer. Disciple making. And the church isn't a business <laughs> It's not meant to be a successful business venture. Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make money. <laughs> the fourth question I'll ask is, is commercial enterprise then, is business wrong? Is it wrong to make money? And the Bible's clear in that, no way. Unless you're making profits and money and it becomes your idol and it becomes above God. We go back to that original biblical promise. And we damage God's word if we make it above him. Even the good stuff. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we seek first his kingdom. And finally, a fifth question just on this first point with commercialism. Do we need money to carry on the church? Yes. There's no doubt on that. It, that money is consecrated and it's dedicated to the one true God. And it should be, well, I use the words, it should be warmed out of men's pocket by the love for God rather than warmed up by the schemes of man. <laughs> Our example to the world should be a church or a temple that is cleansed of commercialism. We don't do it just to get people in the door. The things that we do should be doing, we should be doing to bring people to the house of prayer. To bring people to know about Jesus. Not out of love for money or selfish pride is what was happening. Now Jesus cleansed the temple also from another thing. It was contaminated with irreverence. What did Jesus say? He said, he quoted Isaiah, actually, he says, My house shall be a house of prayer. But the scene was one with utter disregard for the things that were holy and reverent. And it became necessary then for Jesus to drive out those who did not honor God. There's a lot of kinds of irreverence, isn't there? That could be there. There's an irreverence of misconduct. Let's start with that. 
uh, a disrespectful conduct and, and a, a disrespect for the care that God wants to give. And Jesus saw that as he saw it in the people that were haggling and yelling out to sell their wares. Those that were disturbing the other people that were coming to pray or coming to honestly bring their sacrifice or to learn of God's word. There's an irreverence of non-participation too. You do these loud things rather than participating in what God really wants. What ultimately does God want here today? He wants us to worship Him. To put the worth upon Him. I I think of the words in um, Hebrews chapter 10. uh, Verses 22, well, 19 through 25. And I was supposed to have this sticky noted here, so give me a second. I want to read this section for you. Beginning at verse 19, I call this the the salad section in Scripture because it has let us, okay? Let us. But catch the true let us here, us, and what we should be doing. It says, therefore, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, it begins to let us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see, as you see the day approaching. When we come to worship, we don't come to worship as a mere spectator. Let us do these things in active faith, in active worship, to confess, to worship, to put the worth upon God. And by the way, it's okay if you might think to yourself, I can't sing. We can all sing in our hearts, can't we? We can all sing in what we do if we can't sing literally in those ways. But what will help in all this, what helps is to know the significance of what true worship is. To truly pray. To be taught the things about God so that we know that we put the worth upon Him. To know that worship is more than a Sunday service. It's more than this once a week thing. This isn't a religious program or a pill that you need to take once a week. It's a daily living relationship each day. Not just Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a time where we gather together. There's another irreverence that he deals with here. It's an irreverence of inattention. 
Their minds were so busy with other things that there they stood in the very temple area and they were forgetting about God. Now, I'm not going to try and be, well, you can see what I put up on the screen, I guess. My brother-in-law told me this one time. He said, I'd rather be in the deer stand thinking about God than in church thinking about the deer stand. (laughs) And he probably has a point in that somewhat. But you know, where does God want us? (laughs) He says, let us not forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. (laughs) We should get together. And and that's what God wants. (laughs) There might be a lot of things on our mind right now. Maybe we're thinking about what what we're going to eat for um, dinner today. (laughs) Or maybe we're thinking about the nap this afternoon or the the basketball that we can watch. (laughs) Or the movie that might be showing. But God wants us to think about and to have our attention and focus upon Him. He doesn't want a form of godliness. He wants us to leave that clutter. Did you catch what he said there in verse 16? It's interesting that it says that Jesus would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He wanted them to get the focus back. And see, there's one last irreverence here. That's an irreverence of smugness that occurs. Smugness is not a word we use every day. But... Smugness is what some people have when they come to church. They might think it's for those who need it. An attitude of we know better. Um, All we need to do is show up. That's what God wants us to do. But the other people need to be changed. That was a message for somebody else. You ever hear somebody say, well, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. (laughs) One commentator put it this way, and I think they did a good job. It says, that some people bring their moral umbrellas to church. When the law and gospel is preached and the points that direct them to the truth of God's word and it hits them, it's like an umbrella. They pull out their moral umbrella so that when it's coming upon them, it hopefully falls on everybody else. (laughs) Because in our minds, we think they need it. But what did it say God's house is for here? It's a house of prayer for who? For all nations, all people. Because we all have sinned. All of us need salvation. All of us need to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. The last thing we want to note today is how Jesus purified this temple that was contaminated with hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus said, you've made it into a den of thieves. (laughs) They hid seeking profit under the guise of temple worship. And after all, as it says that you've made it a den of thieves, you've made it a robber's den. What's a robber's den anyway? (laughs) It's a hideout. It's a place where a thief is sure he will not be discovered. When the church is a place to cover up your pride and your greed and all kinds of sin, and when it merely means, it's meant to show that you're a respectable churchgoer and a member of society rather than to let God's word take root. 
Maybe, well, we catch ourselves maybe saying to this, go to it, preacher, you tell them off. <laughs> Let me tell you, the church, it's filled with us hypocrites. When somebody says that the church isn't the church that they want because it doesn't quite fit for them or things that way, because it just isn't, there's too many sinners, there's too many hypocrites there. Um, Let me tell you, one of the things that, well, the church is full of us hypocrites at one time or another. One of the things that the presence of hypocrites shows, though, it declares the validity of the true, what true Christianity is. After all, who would want to counterfeit something that's worthless? The Word of God is meant to flush out those hypocrisies in our lives. To bring true repentance. It's meant to bring us to Christ. It's true some come to church merely to be seen or because it gives them business context or prestige in a community. To some, it means being good with good people rather than being a sinner saved by God's grace. Some may say, well, we can't designate people as as robbers in church. There's no robbers in church. Well, let me ask you, do you hold a grudge or is there somebody you can't forgive? If so, you're robbing that person of forgiveness and love that should flow from your heart. Do we give of our time and our talents and our possessions to the Lord and to his work? Malachi put it this way. He said, will a man rob God? (laughs) And Malachi said, but you, God had Malachi say, but you are robbing me, he said, withholding your God-given gifts and covering up your true condition through taking refuge within the church or at least acting the part ends up making the house of God a hideout for thieves. And we say and we hear Jesus' words, beware hypocrisy, but whenever I see that, I, I find myself, it speaks to myself. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, The raw material for a devil is an angel. The raw material for a son of perdition is an apostle. The raw material for the most horrible of apostates is the one who is almost a saint. We know what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. He that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Our good works can become sinful, can't they? When they become what we rely upon instead of relying upon Jesus Christ. And the pride in ourselves can turn the house of God into a house of thieves. You know what the best safeguard to all this is? (laughs) Is to pray. And to pray honestly to God. To talk with Him. (laughs) 
to pray that prayer of helplessness. Oli Hallisby said that that's when you really pray is when you're helpless. When we know our helplessness, we can truly pray and we can say, cleanse cleanse my secret faults, God. (laughs) And that inner cleansing is what Jesus desires most of all to administer to a sinful, broken heart. And that's where the cross and what Christ has done becomes so precious, doesn't it? When we see who we are and we get to see who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf. And as you and I get closer to the cross, I hate to tell you this, but the blacker our sins will seem. (laughs) And we examine our hearts in the pure light of Calvary. In the pure light of what Jesus did. But when you see that, you begin to know what the true grace of God is. And that cleansing begins in our temple, in our church, in our hearts. We are subjected then to that wonderful purification that, I guess when you think about it here, it wasn't a mild-mannered Jesus who did this in the temple, did he? The perfect, holy, and loving Son of God wants his church to be the church. To be the temple where God dwells. Let me end with this. If you get a chance sometime, I would encourage you to listen to a song. Um, The title of the song is God Builds Churches with broken people. The chorus to the song says, God builds churches with broken people, hurting people, searching people. And sometime we, imperfect people, find the strength to make it through. And the broken become brand new. It's in Jesus that our brokenness is healed. It's his church, and it's meant to be a house of prayer. May he work in each of our hearts, and may we see once again what he has done for us and know that cleansing. Lord, thank you for your word. And um, Lord, I thank you that you take what's broken and you make it new. Do that in each of our hearts. And as we come to your table today too, Lord, may we um, may we know once again that cleansing and know what you have done for us. Thank you, O oh God. I pray in your name, Jesus.